singing it for my baby She's the only one can bring me joy That's why I sing these happy songs They go dum dum So good to be back. That is Otis Redding with the happy song. Dum dum dum. And I'm back. It is Barbell Buddha Rediscovered, episode 69, called Heavy Meditation. And again, that was Otis Redding with the happy song. I am so glad to be home. I'm saying this a couple of times now, but I am so glad to be back in my hometown, Memphis, Tennessee. That song that you just heard is from my hometown, Memphis, Tennessee, and it's just one of the countless examples of how Memphis music and Memphis history has shaped the culture that you live in, dear listener, especially if you're from the States. I mean, look, look I'm, let, me, let me start the show by just riffing off a couple examples, okay? First of all, we had Sun Records. Okay, Sun Records is the record label that you know to be responsible for things like... You know, Elvis, dude, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. These four guys, I don't know if you know this, these four guys were known as the Million Dollar Quartet. Why? Because if you wanted to be able to get all four of them in the show in the 50s, again, Elvis, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, you remember Great Balls of Fire, I know you know that guy. Carl Perkins you may not know so well because... He was known for writing songs. He actually wrote Blue Suede Shoes, which is Elvis's first like big hit. But these four guys that were the Million Dollar Quartet. And if you wanted to have all four of them in a show in the 1950s, it would have cost you a million dollars. Now, you might just look back on this and think, that's some old stuff. But you don't maybe realize that these guys were incredibly radical for their time. Like, so socially disruptive they were rejected by established culture, you know, Christianity, cookie-cutter, post-World War II American life, especially in the South. They were radical, but they weren't the only radicals to come from Memphis uh, in that, you know, I guess starting a little bit later, because Elvis had his influences in the black community, the black culture, and my favorite, I've, talk, I've talked about him so many, was Stax. You know, Stax, guys like Otis Redding, people like Isaac Hayes, who notoriously was the voice of Chef for South Park, Rufus Thomas, Booker T and the MGs, the Staple Singers, Sam and Dave, you know, blues legend Albert King. Like, the list goes on and on and on. Okay, so the fa- my favorite part about Stax record label is just how against the social norms they were for their time. See, let me, let me just paint a picture here. It's the height of the Jim Crow and civil rights era. The black and white communities were expected and mostly encouraged to to stay apart, okay? At this time, this is going on. 
people in the Stax music were black and white musicians. So the guitarist, Steve Cropper, was from, he, he was white. You know, Wayne Jackson, the, the, the trumpet player, he was white. Andrew Love, the saxophone player, he was black. Uh, someone like Booker T, the keys player, he was black. These, these people, white and black musicians alike, working together, traveling together, dining together, living together, fighting for change together, and changing the world while doing it. Now that is fucking radical, man. Like in contrast to what I see happening today, which include massive shifts in our culture, there are some really beautiful lessons to learn in this story of stacks about working together to create the world that we want to see and the world that we want to believe in. You know, because at their time they were seen as very radical and very against the grain. And here we look back on it and we kind of take for granted what it took to bring this type of world-changing art into existence. Uh, another incredible artist from the same era but a different record label was Al Green from High Records. Now, you know, let's, let's get together. I know you know that one, okay? Man, this microphone makes me sound pretty good. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Working on the pipes a little bit today. Now, I want you to think about this. You, you could visit the Full Gospel Tabernacle Church on a Sunday in Memphis, Tennessee on Hale Road, and there is a legitimate possibility that Al Green will come out and sing gospel hymns to you. I cannot make this up. I don't care where you stand on the spectrum of spirituality, religion, all that. If you hear Al Green sing gospel hymns in person, like you're going to leave there a believer. It's just that simple. <laughs> and, you know, like in a more modern era of Memphis music history, um, things that have been inspired by Al Green's or inspired by the Otis Reddings of the world came this like massive shift into hip hop and southern like gangster rap. And that's that's also here in Memphis. So labels like Hypnotized Minds, Three Six Mafia, Project Pat. Uh, not from the same record label, but artists like 8-Ball and MJG. Like, they've had huge commercial success um, that, I guess, peaked when 3-6 Mafia won the Oscar for their song Hard Out Here for a Pimp uh, from the movie Hustle and Flow, which was directed by another Memphian, Craig Brewer. Like, this is all true. That it's like they've paved the way for artists like Yo Gotti, Dolph, guys like that. You're even hearing artists like outside of Memphis sample old 3-6 and Project Pat tracks. Um, Hip-hop in general has grown from sampling Memphis music legends like Stax. Kanye West was another notorious artist that loved sampling from that. And more I've traveled, more I've started to expose people to these stories and this music. It's actually, I'm learning that many people don't know the history behind this music. Okay, it was like, it was not born from peace and blessings and everything being good. Okay, a lot of this came from friction, social friction. A lot of this came from artistic friction. Um, it's just like, I just, sometimes I, I forget how much of an impact my city has had on the U.S. and abroad. And being able to travel a lot this road trip, I was able to kind of contrast Memphis against the backdrop of other major, major cities, you know. So that's why it's been on my mind so much because I went to L.A., I've been to New York City, I've been to San Francisco, San Diego, Seattle, Denver, Chicago, Austin, whatever, Dallas, Atlanta, Boston, even Nashville, like you name it. Like compared to these cities, it's Memphis is like definitely, I guess, low-key. It's kind of got this like downplayed vibe. And to be fair, like it's 
probably not the first place you'd think to visit, um, especially if you're from out of the United States. And if, you know, at first glance, there doesn't seem to be much going on, and I get that. But if you allow yourself to settle your gaze on the city for a bit longer, another story starts to unveil itself altogether. And the story is that Memphis has consistently changed the landscape of our culture beyond just music. Okay, so we talked about music. We've essentially created the score of a great American life from uh, rock and roll all the way to stacks, all the way to hip hop these days. But it could be argued even more successfully that a company like FedEx, you know, changed logistics, uh, the logistics industry more than even rock and roll changed music. Because, okay, think about this. <laughs> think about this. Okay, before FedEx, the idea. Right now, we, we, we can just hop on Amazon and have things delivered to us, sometimes even same day. But like next day, two-day delivery, which is like super norm. Before FedEx, the idea that you could have a global two-day delivery or even a domestic next-day delivery was like stranger than fiction. Fred Smith, who is a Memphian, who created this famous like hub and spoke business model that changed the way that we thought about logistics. Listen, they would like pour things into trucks. They would send these trucks to the major airports. Every night, all of these planes from around the United States and now around the world would fly all into Memphis late at night. And they would put all of these packages through a sorting process. And they sort them all back into the cities that they're supposed to go to. They fill these planes back up. And then first thing in the morning, all of the planes leave. Like, that was so crazy and radical. FedEx alone has contributed to building the infrastructure for second and third world nations that allows them to participate in this new global economy. Like, few companies have done that before FedEx. Another example, <laughs> Holiday Inn. You know Holiday Inn. That was created by a guy named Kimmins Wilson, who is a Memphian. And it went on to change the way that we thought about motels and the way that hotels were operated around the world. You know, like, we have this insane traditional mix of southern soul cuisine, a lot of which was passed down through the uh, essentially, like, black African root slave culture. A lot of these cuisines and these tastes were brought over from another uh, continent, you know, forcibly, of course, like this is history we're talking about, but you still experience the, 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 the tradition and the, and the culture in the cuisine. And then American barbecue, oh, that's like wet the appetites of literally, literally hundreds of millions of people over the last century. Do you see where I'm going with this? Listen, I love the energy and inspiration I get from traveling. Okay? Like, I love it. And I saw so many amazing cities on the road this year. Like, we went through 12 different states. Um, it was really this road trip that has me really inspired and excited about some things that I'm going to work on for 2020. And the first, if you can't tell, is that I love my hometown. I love Memphis. There's so much to learn from here. So instead of just, like, talking aimlessly into a microphone about it, like, I'm going to do something about it. Uh, I haven't come up with a name yet, but maybe something like Nothing But Memphis. Like, it's a retreat idea that will dive deeper into the music that shaped our culture, the lessons that we can learn from, like, these different eras of Memphis history, 
because, um, you know, we're kind of like the exclamation point to the civil rights era because Martin Luther King was assassinated here. All of this was happening while the things like stacks were happening. So you have like the the counterbalance of what's possible um, in a negative sense when, you know, social structures are being taken down uh, through assassinations and violence. And you have this other side of like people changing the landscape of culture and music all happening at the same time. Okay, this is just it boggles my mind. So. I believe that there's lessons here, and I, and I, I believe that if you come and you, you hear these stories, you experience these stories, that you will be able to take away lessons that you can apply to your life. Um, what we're going to do, oh man, this is going to be great. We're going to explore like all the diverse nat- natural parks that we have here, um, some key attractions like the National Civil Rights Museum, um, and we're going to work on like a simple m- mission project. Like to inspire and teach whoever's there to how to lead and create change. Like, not just, I don't want to just change people's perspective. Like, I want to see the mind perspective shift and then it show up into a physical experience. So, there's not just like, oh, I feel like I'm really getting to know myself and, and grow more fully into what's possible for me. Okay, that's great. How can you harness that and turn it around and help your neighborhood, help your community? Start with yourself, then work on your home, your neighborhood, and your community at large, right? So I'm going to teach you how to do that. Uh, you know we're going to eat good. You know, I know you know we're going to eat good on this trip. So get some of the best barbecue in the world. So if if coming to Memphis and scheduled for tentatively March 2021, let's just be real, we're living in a new landscape, travel landscape, coronavirus and all, but uh, we're going to do it safely, make sure that we're following all the rules and making sure we're setting up a safe environment for people. But if you are interested in visiting Memphis, Tennessee, learning about Chris's hometown, my hometown, Mike Bledsoe's, for the most part, hometown, send me a message, man. I'd love to have you. Um, I'm going to send it out to my friends and people in my immediate coaching and friend network, but I would love for people that are interested to, 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 to join us on this adventure. So you can send me a message on Instagram if you want at Brooks Meadows or even at a, at Barbell Buddha rediscovered. Okay. So if you want to come, you're interested, send me a message, man. I'd love to have you. The second thing I'm working on, oh man, this is going to be so exciting. Okay. So I, oh man. My wife and I are going to host a guided trip to Seoul, South Korea, and some of the neighboring cities. Now listen, listen, friend, you're my friend here. You've been with me a long time now, okay? I've done a lot of personal development work over the last 15 years. Been to retreats, workshops, programs, you name it. But the one thing that has developed me more as a person than anything else is traveling, specifically traveling internationally. So I moved to Seoul in 2009, which back then, <laughs> the average Memphian couldn't have picked out Korea on, you know, out of a lineup, much, much less like desired to see it as a travel destination. Um, but now, like, there's several Korean restaurants. There's freaking bulgogi-flavored everything. And then K-pop, like, it's taking the world by storm. They call this, oh man, this is so great. They call this Hallyu means the Korean culture wave, and it has hit the world truly by storm. I did grad school there, went to a Korean university. I learned so much, you guys, about Korean companies, about Korean culture in general. Korean cuisine has definitely become my favorite palate. So what we're going to do is I'm going to host this trip in October of 2021. We're going to keep the group small. And you might be thinking, okay, like, go to Korea. That's cool. 
that sounds good in all Brooksy, but like, how does that relate to personal development? To which I'd say to you, dear listener, I want you to imagine, use, as Chris would call, the, the theater of your mind. Use the theater of your mind for a moment. And I want you to imagine that you, you personally, were able to, before you even stepped foot on Korean soil, that you were able to speak Korean at a level that you could read the language, you could actually understand enough to move around freely, confidently, that you were able to seamlessly flow in and out of the subway and bus transit systems because you got it like that. Someone that you could make a taxi driver laugh and get you to your destination at the same time. He's not laughing at you. He's laughing with you because you know how to communicate. If you've never done these things, if you've never like gone to a new nation where you don't know the language, it is paralyzing sometimes to go outside, especially in a nation that's so dramatically different from one you're from. You know, go to Europe, you're in Amsterdam or whatever, like, like, you know, a lot of people might speak English, you know, like a lot of Europeans, you know, everybody seems to be like able to flow in and out, but you like dropped into the middle of another nation. You're not sure if anybody can speak to you. It's like hard, hard to do. So that is the personal development, you know, like think about that. I could teach you. So if you did this, if you were to, whether with me or someone else, if you were to do this, to, to learn these tools and tips and techniques to be able to go in to a place that's structurally, the language is so much different and you can get by, you will be empowered with a system that allows you to travel confidently anywhere in the world. Look, friends, if you, especially my American friends, God bless you. And this is me too. I was, I've grown out of this. I personally developed, but typically <laughs> you can pick an American out of a lineup out on a trip. They're so easy to spot. We're so easy to target even. We're loud. We're looking like we, we don't seem to understand how what we're doing is related to anything around us. We expect everybody to speak to us in our language. We don't even try many times to establish that rapport by, you know, learning some phrases and learning some jokes. As Chris said, like, learn you can learn to be interesting and you can learn to be interesting in another language. You don't have to be able to talk politics. Just use a couple of jokes like establish some rapport you know like then you learn to communicate and people start looking out for you you can you can do this you can turn yourself into a citizen of the globe and when you do that you open yourself to new perspectives like like none i've ever found you know just allowing yourself to imagine or just to live like someone else lives even if it's just for a short amount of time a week at a time two weeks at a time it's it really does change your perspective. You know, in this case, we're not going to retreat from life. This isn't a trip where you go to get away from life, but instead we're going to go into life. We're going to live it. We're going to live it fast. And we're going to live it full out because to evolve into who we want to become, I'll just, I, to evolve who I want to become, like sometimes you have to live it. You have to go in it. So if that interests you at all, if you want more information about that as it comes out, send me a message on Instagram. I would love to inspire you to, I would love to, to potentially facilitate this opportunity for you. Okay. It's what I love. It is like, I'm committed to being a personal me, a professional me this year. And I love to travel. I have the story. The King says, yes, where I go to Jamaica, I love to travel. And I love to help people, you know, not only just decide that they want to do something, but to 
find the actual steps that it takes to get you what you want. And um, that's one way that I can continue to offer and be of service to people is to tell, to offer resources for nothing, to be able to offer inspiring ideas and not, not just be inspired, but give you tips that actually allow you to take that action, allow you to keep at it. Um, because this episode, which is, let's see, episode 69, yeah, 69, heavy meditation, um, Chris has on his buddy, uh, CTP, and they, you know, they talk a lot about nothing. That's what homies do sometimes. You get on the mic, flick it on, and, and talk about nothing. But Chris gets on about keeping at it, and he does it by talking about um, Kenny Kane, who is, a, I guess, either is the owner or, or was the owner. At the time, he was definitely the owner of, of CrossFit LA. They, they saw Kenny Kane and interviewed him at the CrossFit Games in 2014. So he's going to talk about Kenny, and he's going to talk about Elvis, going back to the Memphis music history here. And he's going to talk about the power of keeping at it. Okay, And I'm relating this to what I've opened up so far, which is I've been telling you about these trips that, I, that I'm going to host in, in Mar- March to Memphis and in October to Seoul. Like, honestly... Like, I didn't think a lot of this, I never even, it never occurred to me that these were even possible. But as I've kept at this podcast, oh, excuse me, as I've kept at this podcast, as I've kept at going out into the world and like mixing and mingling with people that inspire me, that encourage me, you know, that bring me energy. Chris mentions that a lot in his episode. It's that a lot of the value that he's gotten from Barbell Shrugged at this time is the connection and the inspiration that interviewing these people bring. It's not just the notoriety that the show gets. It's that he himself was getting fueled by a lot of these guests. And I have been fueled by his experience. And it's these things. You keep at it. You keep at it. And before you know it, like, just a couple of dominoes fall into place or a couple of uh, uh, lens shifts. There's just a few degrees of shift. You see that these new things are possible. And so, um, you know, what I do full time professionally is one thing, but one, another thing that I'm so focused and intent on is designing the life that I want for myself. And I love to travel and I want to help people travel. So I'm going to continue keeping at being myself, doing these shows. This one, I have serious fun inviting people to work with me from a coaching perspective to design the life that works for them, getting the strategies that work for their life. You know, living a life where you can travel around is not actually as far away from you as you might think. A lot of times we might have um, skewed expectations of what it's going to take to live our life that we want, but it's actually really attainable, okay? And we can do it by keeping at it. And if you keep at it, New things, bigger things are possible. You just got to invite them in. And so Chris is going to talk about that in the first clip. It's a couple of minutes long, uh, about, I don't know, five, six minutes. Um, And we're going to get him on first to talk about Kenny Kane and Elvis to keep hammering that point of the power of keeping at it. Okay, so we're going to get Chris on. He'll talk about it, and uh, we'll get inspired, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Uh, Oh, shit, what was his name? uh, Kenny Kane. Kenny Kane. I was thinking, it was, I was like, Kenny Lane doesn't sound right. Kenny Lane is in my... <laughs> but Kenny Kane, who's a comedian, I guess he was on the Wildcast podcast. He's also on his Kenny Kane Positivity Project. I knew of that, hadn't listened to a lot of it. I knew he was a, a positive guy. <laughs> That's a fair assessment of him pre, 
podcast, but came in wearing a pink cowboy hat and being very uh, animated and very interesting to talk to. We sat and bullshitted around our giant patio table that was covered, every inch covered in an empty coffee cup. He must have came in and thought, what in the hell are these guys up all night doing? Yeah, well, drink coffee. There's some monsters and all kinds of stuff. We caught up for about an hour, got to know each other, and turned on the microphones. And we had a really strong, like, hour and a half podcast with that guy. And what's really amazing, and I'll give you a little sneak peek, I guess, the content. What's really amazing is that, so Kenny is a CrossFit coach. I guess he coaches at CrossFit LA. He's got a unique perspective on making sure people keep perspective, I guess, is the easiest way to say it, or training. Like, he, he does a good job of making sure they set the right kind of goals and ask the right sorts of questions and like go off on this journey. Just don't go off pushing for shit and setting goals that might not happen or whatever. He's, got, he's a really, I guess you could say like a holistic approach to training, but he's also got this long history of being a stand-up comedian of all things. Like as you said, he started like in 1984, right, CTP? Uh, something like that. He's been performing since like 1984. Mm-hmm. And he's in his 40s. There are a lot of gigs. He told, I, I will not tell it here, but he told the most awesome story about bombing hard in front of Jerry Seinfeld and a group of exclusive people ahead of trying out like Tonight's show or the David Letterman show. Uh, but a lot of great lessons in that show about failing. I mean, look, hey man, one of the great lessons I'll share with you now, one of the one of things we often forget, like when you try to do shit in your life, like anything interesting, anything that you would label as like your dream scenario, when you go after it, sometimes you have some fears, sometimes you, you try to do it, it's not as good as you hoped. Sometimes you just you just make the biggest possible ass of yourself possible. <laughs> like you just screw up so bad. And to you, it feels like the most embarrassing thing that's ever going to happen. And Kenny tells a story. I'll let out a little bit, I guess. He's going to tell it better anyway. He tells a story of like getting out in front of the crowd. And this is his big chance to make a big break. And ideally, you would just crush it. And Jerry Seinfeld would laugh. And everybody in the audience would laugh. And your career would move forward because you had worked for, I don't know, 20 fucking years to have the opportunity, right? And you think that you'd get up there and now would be your time. It's just fair, CTP. It's just fair. And now's my time, man. And now I need to make this happen. So he gets up there and instead of crushing, he actually starts fucking crying in front of everybody. He has this moment where I guess all, I think it was all his, um, his touring with, um, well, I forget what the organization is. We know the comedians tour and visit like the army bases and stuff to entertain the troops. Um, Something OC, fuck, I don't remember. Uh, but he, he saw a lot of intense things, a lot of injuries. It's like a hospital where, you know, kids injured from war were sitting next to failed suicide bombers who were probably an intense set of patients, next to soldiers being treated for shrapnel wounds and all that. And he said, all this comes up to him. He said, he just starts bawling, crying in front of fucking Jerry Seinfeld. And I could feel the visceral shock and horror. I haven't had anything quite that uh, embarrassing, but you know, every at least once every ten years, I have something that's really, really bad. Once a year, I'll do something where I'm like, "Man, Chris, dude, like, why would you even have rushed into that? Or why would you have pushed that goal so hard? Why would you have thought that you could have tolerated that or recovered from that?" Like, it happens pretty frequently. We have to keep learning these lessons. But it's a good thing to remember, man, that everybody has that shit. <laughs> But let me circle back to my story about Memphis. <clears throat> like, the crazy thing is to think that at one point, Elvis is just like you. Elvis is sitting in a room in, like, fucking Tupelo. He's strumming a shitty guitar that he can't even get fucking close to tune. He's got holes in his shoes. He's thinking, man, I'm, I'm never going to have a peanut butter sandwich. Never. Never in my life. I can't afford that shit. Oh, can't. Can't ever have it. 
He's having all these. This is him. This is his life. He's just a fucking shitbag nobody because he just because he has this thing he feels drawn to. Something whispers in his ear and says, "Elvis, one day people are gonna lose their shit over you, man. You know, suck it up, keep playing, keep jamming. You might want to hop the next train to Memphis because I feel like the blacks there might have a little bit of a, a a good example to set for you in terms of having some soul, add some, add some dance moves to your tour, get some guys on your on your tracks. The blacks there might have some." Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody accuses is Elvis Elvis of just stealing the culture, which he borrowed it heavily. But we have an amazing, like, you know, soul and R&B culture in Memphis, and he borrowed heavily from all that stuff and you know, the rest of his history. But, yeah, I mean, he everybody has those fears. Everybody is so embarrassed of themselves sometimes. It's a classic line, right, where um, all you have in your head is, like, the blooper reel of your life. <laughs> and all you can see is the highlight reel of other people. You know what I'm saying? Like, all anybody knows of CTP is that, man, CTP crushes those videos with Bravo Shrugged. Like, how does he get all the editing done? Like, people say this stuff. To me, they might say, how does Chris think about those terrible dick jokes? It's on the fly, like one after another. It's so entertaining, so awesome. They have these thoughts, but they don't see, like in your case, like the hours and hours and hours, countless fucking hours and days you've poured into that. And then all the times you made something and said, this is, without a shadow of a doubt, probably terrible as hell. This probably sucks. But yeah, you, you keep trusting it because something tells you, Chris, you got to do your editing today, man. So you honor it. You get up. You can use whispers in your ear. You talk. You talk. You talk to it. You go, okay, fuck. I'll do it. You, you edit. You edit. And slowly, that just turns into a habit that leaves you five years down the road really good at editing. Like surprisingly good at editing where CDP. You, I haven't been editing for five years. Well, yeah, even like three. What is it, three? Two and a half to almost three. Two and a half at all. And you, you would say you're not a cameraman, not a video guy, but you're. I'd say you're probably like a self-taught musician type where you can, you can play all the keys, I've man. Devolved. I think when I first picked it up and we started out, all I was doing was making fun videos to Otis Redding. I made one, oh, yeah. I made one to Otis. I made uh, I just made, made fun videos all the time. And as we've gotten more busy, I haven't had time to do all the fun videos. But uh, that's going to change soon, ladies and gentlemen. Do you want to share some awesome news with people? Not a fi- nothing's official. No, we're, working, we're working very hard, let's say. We're working hard on building a team. Because if you want to be successful in this world, motherfucker, listen to me. Take it from somebody who's driven themselves mad before trying to be the big tough guy who could do it all themselves. It's just shit. Look, you're, humans are, are nothing if not a highly social species. We don't like to be doing shit on our own. It's not our strongest position. If you can, when it comes to like making your, your dreams happen and shit, you might be able to do it all on your own. If so... You kick ass, you MacGyver son of a bitch. Look at you. You fucking MacGyver asshole. Look at you, MacGyver son of a bitch. But it'd be much easier if you said, look, what am I really, what am I uniquely qualified to do? It's like, well, what's unique genius, as we would say? And Doug would remind you, like, what is it that you can't not do? Like Christopher, Christopher Hitchens, who wrote those books right there, CTP, like Hitch 22 and the one up there, the arguably, let's say, guys, not great, all those books, but Love and Poverty, uh, Morality, a lot of good books. But he always said that. People ask him, why did he write? He goes, well, I think the key to being a good writer is that this is something you have to do. Like, you don't necessarily choose to do something like this, but you have to do it. And when you do do it, put a little space there so I don't say when you do do it. Not, I don't want to set off any uh, amateur jokes. When you do the thing because you have to, after a while you, can, you can't have to do it really honestly and develop a true voice. And the key to writing, at least in my humble, whatever my fucking opinion of is worth, is that all it is is your honest voice being communicated. So what would you honestly tell a, a close friend about something? That's exactly what you write. That's how you be a good writer. That's all that matters. If you're trying to be something, 
when you make an art of any fucking kind. If you're trying, if you saw something and you're trying to do like somebody else did, it's not going to be good. I'm sorry. It might look okay. It might be all right. It might be serviceable. But people won't click it and be like, wow, what is this? Like, they won't even feel that it's a difference. You have to honestly say whatever it is. That's a fucking, I, I, I may have gone like in a big, you know, loudmouth rant during a mastermind meeting, basically saying really all that matters, uh, all you can do, all you should do is take your unique voice and carefully, even if it takes 10 years, even if it takes 20 years, carefully dig it out like a, a T-Rex skeleton embedded in a limestone or something. Just dig it out, carefully reconstruct it, you know, you know, put some meat on it, let it, let it be stable, you know, feed it water, let it grow. Um, but being able to honestly just communicate what you really feel about something and then being able to keep with it long enough to where the tools you need to use to do that, develop, develop, develop until you can actually do it the way you want to do it. Like to have what you see or hear in your mind actually show up on the page. That shit happens if you just practice enough. Keep at it. You guys remember, keep at it. Chris reminds you that Elvis was just like you. <laughs> That's kind of crazy, right? Like, he said Elvis is trying to tune his guitar, doesn't have what he needs, got holes in his shoes, go to Memphis, get inspired, and then change the world. Something like, and Chris is like, he keeps saying, it doesn't matter if it takes you two years, five years, a decade, two decades, you, you put in the work. You keep at it. Because you don't know when your time is. This This lesson, like, occurred to me, so... I had the pleasure of visiting Jamaica with a friend named Sam. And part of the trip, uh, which is the, this trip inspired the story that I tell called The King Says Yes. So to give you a little glimmer into like what that is, on the trip, we actually get to visit Bob Marley's birth home in Jamaica. So here I am like deep in Jamaica in a place that at its time when Bob Marley was born there, like no electricity, no running water. This human was born from the most humble beginnings like literally nothing, and then he goes on to change the world. Like Bob was a human, just like you and me, and he kept plugging away at his craft over and over. He dove so deeply into himself in a time of political turmoil, like so much political turmoil that he he even as like a even as a hero of the nation, as a musician, he still even at one point had to flee his home and move to England. That you can if you keep plugging away at it, you can catch this divine timing, possibly, and have your light shine out forever, dude. Like, Bob Marley, man. Icon. Iconic. Icon. Truly. Right? And stories like this, stories like Elvis, it, it strips away all these excuses. Like, there's the, these beliefs that you don't have enough to contribute. That you didn't come from the right family. You didn't have enough of the access to the right tools. You can't get the right MacBook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, all that nonsense that creeps in uh, and it creeps up on us as fear. That when you remember and consider the fact that many of the icons of different eras, people even like Mahatma Gandhi or, you know, you just keep going, they come from such meek beginnings. These humans sought their divine truth. They suffered willingly for their dharma or their craft. And they changed the world because of it. And it's a radical thing to acknowledge this truth because it takes a willingness to be responsible for your own story, man. No excuses. No if-onlys. You know, it's just you and the action you're willing to take. And as Chris continues to show us uh, at show after show, he sets that example as best as he can 
as he is, you know, as he's prepared to at any given time in his journey, right? But he he is a another person that is an embodiment of these principles that you just keep showing up because it's the thing that you have to do. Like you mentioned as a writer, you're not writing because you try to recreate some other literary work of genius or try to have some success that other people have it. If you do, then it will be hollow and it will get taken away. Like it just doesn't resonate the same way. You do it because you have to do it. Um, one way that we can say like arm ourselves with the tools that we need to do that, to keep going to uh, navigate the uncertainty, uh, be okay with where we are, one of the things that we can do to arm ourselves for that is meditation. You know, seeking our own divine truth. A truth that sits above, say, our individual dogma or individual beliefs. I'm talking about truth with a capital T. Now, there's a traditional and pretty much like cliche a way of going about meditation, which is to have a sitting practice where you focus your gaze towards your third eye in the center of your forehead. Um, you're meant to notice the subtle changes of your body as you breathe, the slight movements. And this practice is effective, certainly, at reprogramming your body to concentrate more and break out of pattern more quickly as your practice progresses, where you notice that you've gone off the rails. That's great. Um, but there are other ways to meditate and to seek that divine truth and to seek that divine experience because the truth is an experience. It's not a, it's not a construct of your mind. Someone like Wim Hof has a growingly popular breathing and movement method, the Wim Hof method, and he helps take people there. People like Laird Hamilton and his XPT community are another example of people who facilitate these sort of otherworldly experiences Okay, by helping people go through experiences with breath, water, cold immersion, exercise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, there are people that do that. So, in the last clip that we have for our show today, Chris is going to close the show by reading a written account of a similar experience with the Barbell Shrug podcast where they trained and recorded with Seal Fit owner Mark Devine. Now, I explicitly remember this episode, and I was blown away by Mark. I started box breathing immediately. Um, so I can't actually imagine what this was like in person, but Chris is going to do his best to share the experience in a chapter from his book called Divine. All right? Um, so to close the show, just a reminder, you know, keep going, man. Good things can happen. Be inspired. I'm certainly inspired. I shared some of that earlier. Um, if you want to help you can support me by possibly going and rating this five stars, sharing this with someone, telling a friend, or introduce them to Chris's work, man. That's really the goal here is to share Chris's work. My work will be here in time if people want to geek out on Chris and want to hear about this guy talking about him. Okay, great. But refer people to Chris's work. Buy someone Chris's book. Let them discover these truths through their action, not just you telling them about it. Okay? Do that, and the world will be a better place. Of that, I am sure. All right. Chris is going to close with his chapter, Divine, and I will talk to you next time. I'm going to read this, CTP. I'm going to try not to screw it up, but this will be how we play ourselves out. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, before I, I get to that, I will say thank you for for joining us this evening, uh, and and I hope you got some out of the rambling. If, long F. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure where we'll be next. We'll be traveling a bunch of the fall or we'll be at some MPGO events and stuff and we'll be traveling around shooting the show and doing whatever. If I happen to be around your neck of the woods, come out and see me 
if not, if you got a question, you got a comment, leave something on the Facebook wall. Uh, I will read it. I will answer it. Send me a message. Tweet at me. You know, paint out a painting of a question or a philosophical idea. Take a picture of it. Put it on Instagram. Tag me. Ask me what I think. I'll tell you what I think. I don't care how you do it. Uh, I'll get back to you. Uh, so without any further ado, folks, peace, love, namaste, cheers. I'm going to read to you now the story divine. Imagine that you're walking along a stone pathway. With each step, your weight displaces and shifts tiny bits of gray and pearly white stone under your feet. Your grate creates a steady, your gate rather, creates a steady, repetitive, soothing noise, not unlike the sound of shifting and cracking marbles in an all-leather pouch. It doesn't take too long for the outside world to start fading out. You smile a slight smile. You start to breathe deeply throughout your nose or through your nose into the very deepest parts of your belly. You slowly begin to get a sense that you are indeed something much greater than your day-to-day commitments. You are separate, a witness to your desires, your thoughts, your worry, your dreams, your everything. You are just I for now, which is really all there is anyhow. You can't help but notice a bold green filling up your peripheral vision, the greenest of greens, building and building all the way up to the tree line ahead. The top of the hill is notice, but it's not your target. You get there exactly when you should. Based on that constant rhythm, the shift, the crack of each step, you are carried forward all on your own, just as you are breathing. On that hill is a lake, perfectly blue and crystal clear. Despite that clarity, you peer forward and see no obvious bottom. No stones, no mud, only depth, darkness, the unknown. But this is nothing to fear. You don't freak out. You just approach the waterline and dip your toes in. Cold. It's very cold, baby. That just takes some getting used to. You step forward, step, step, splash. The chilled water feels like pins and needles as it climbs up your calves. To your thigh, your hips, your chest, your heart flutters and goes fully electrified as your head dips under. The sinking requires no effort at all. You don't resist. You just slip further and further into the deepest part of your own unique lake. With every inch of the descent, you notice that the water is growing warmer and warmer brighter and brighter. Your presence is lighting up these depths. Your focus is intense, peaking. It's emitting an intense energy that fills and simmers in this place. There is no noise, no pain, only solitude. Perfect fucking quiet. Peace, clarity of thought. Your unique genius is easy to spot here because everything else is noisy. It's faded out. It screams out to you. It thrills your soul. It splashes over you like a thousand little cold slaps. Fuck, that's cold. <laughs> the moment I awaken to the rowdy, that's the only word left to use in moments of invigorating or stressful surprise. The big wave felt like a thousand gallons of iced tea splashing over my neck and shoulders. In a flash, I was ripped up from my conjured pond and dropped right back into the reality all around. There we were, a group of 15 Samad new friends locked arm in arm in the cold surf just off the coast of Huntington Beach. My legs quivered and stiffened quickly under the weight of my body. The result of the brief but surprisingly tough warrior yoga and seal fit wad that we completed on the beach only minutes before. I told you all about it, baby. It was brutal. Surprisingly brutal. What an easy day, gentlemen. We are under this beautiful sun. Enjoy it, Mark claimed out or screamed out. Mark was our anchor out in the water, the wise warrior and former Navy SEAL who couldn't have looked any more at ease during the entirety of this training session. It was incredible. Immediately after meeting him, I could recognize the energy that he was emitting, his smile, his confidence, only thought of what I stood to learn from the man. He's also a master at leading meditation sessions and visualization drills, which probably has something to do with the fact that you know, he admits a sheer amount of positivity and force. He packs it behind each and every word he says. B 
Be a witness, he reminded us. It's your discomfort, the sounds, your thoughts. You are in your pond. Nothing can get you down here. After a few minutes, the water all around seemed perfectly warm and still. I could no longer tell what I was, that I was locked arm in arm with anyone. I was just at my bottom, cozy and secure, fully present, growing with an energy that was feeling more and more distinct and radiant. The visualization lasted maybe 15 to 20 minutes in total, but it was an amazing experience. It's hard to say, but I don't really recall ever feeling so clear-headed, so optimistic, so worryless, so hopeful and capable. In a word, felt pretty fucking divine, I must say. Nothing can get me down here. I am a witness. We are all so damn powerful, man. We communicated with super wide smiles and tiny chunks of sentences that we made our way back up to the waterline after our arms broke. Wow, intense, right? I know, dude, incredible. Everyone took a seat on the firm wet sand in a typical lotus-style meditation position, or at least the closest we could get with all that quivering going on in our legs. I sat adjacent to the group facing the stunning Pacific Ocean, hunched over just a little bit for a better view of the shimmering sand below. My heightened awareness of the present moment and cute surroundings made it the most important thing I could do at the time, the most illustrative thing. The angle of the noon sun was just so. It caused certain grains of sand to shimmer like bright little stars, all in front, left and right, as far as my peripheral vision could allow. Bright, bright, like, like little diamonds flashing. The first thing across my mind was the Neil deGrasse Tyson quote. There are more stars in the universe than grains of sand on any beach. More stars than seconds have passed since Earth formed. More stars than words and sounds ever uttered by all the humans who ever lived. All at once, I felt free of expectation and weight that can so often cripple my creativity, my spirit, my joy. That was all gone. There was just this moment. In a world where things could be so fucking complex and mind-blowing and virtually limitless, this was a vivid reminder of scale. And it's always best to not take yourself so seriously. Let go for good, Chris, said to myself. There's nothing to fear here. There is no limit. Just let things be. The occasional strong wave would wash all the way up over my feet and onto my lap. By that time, I was witnessing everything for what it was. A distinct sensation, cold ocean water spilling over into my lap, coarse wet sand under my ass, <laughs> the perfect Southern Californian sun pouring all over me, a sound, Mark Devine giving the culminated guided meditation. Imagine what you become in one year's time, your business, the quality of your relationships, the love and appreciation of your family, the energy and effect you're able to pour all out over everything, the life that you have multiplied tenfold, what could you do in five years, in 20 years? Imagine it. Push the limits of what you think is possible. See yourself as powerfully aware, wise, except that there are no limitations. Imagine that the change you could initiate if you just believed in what you're capable of, really, and the true wealth that you could accumulate. Not just fucking money. Wealth is a much broader idea. See how your colleagues look up to you and value you. See how your family anchors itself to you. Now you're able to provide, protect, and inspire them daily for years and years and years fold away all that time tightly together and visualize yourself sort of shoving that raw intense energy right into the center of your heart feel the heat from it let it radiate out accept the absolute truth that the future you've imagined is now so it is possible it is to be fight for your your life and your altitude your lift keep being a witness to this thing man i cried i gotta admit it, it was an intense moment it was freeing just too damn reassuring too intense not to get a little bit emotional. It was one of the most profound moments of my life, if I'm honest, because this was the moment that I first believed that anything was actually possible. No shit, man. My soul was all stirred up. My heart ran over. My mind hummed with new possibilities. I thought to myself, man, there are no limits. 
All moments passed, even the divine ones. We stood, we stretched, we grabbed all of our shit and made our way back up to the beach to the street where we parked our car. Walking, walking. I was reminded of a story from the previous day. I was chatting with my buddy A.J. Roberts. Fucking amazing lifting man, by the way. Over dinner about life, relationships, change, his recent um, big-time changes he's made in his life. Of note, A.J. was one of the strongest men in the world for a time. He was also one of the few human beings that I've known have, who has undergone the same kind of change as me. Just his whole life is so much different than it was just like two years ago. His accent is mostly faded now due to travel and the heavy Southern California influence. But you can still tell that he's a British guy. His, his voice is just affected. I asked him if that accent still pops up from time to time. He says, uh, it just depends. When I'm home, I can slip back into it with no problem. You feel the tone, you rest. The rest just happens. It's a geography thing, man. You know? Your accent and effect, they just kind of result from the people you're hanging around with. It changes with location. It shifts the way you see the world. When I'm home in England, the old voice returns pretty quickly. But when I'm here, I take things, or I talk much differently. I think differently. My expectations are expanded. I'm brand new. I made up my mind by the time we had crossed back over the Pacific Coast Highway. There would be no turning back now. The path ahead looks more and more clear by the minute. To get the highest levels of awareness and possibility, I would need to keep changing. Forever, I guess. Always. There would be no end to this. No easy times. My accent would keep on changing, no doubt. But that would only make sense. As of today, i got to say, I'm speaking an entirely new language. And I dig it. CTP, thank you for joining me and listening to my ranting. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for ch- tuning in for Bible Review the Podcast. I'll see you next time, man. Peace out. Cheers.